It's time to eat. Get in my belly. Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Joe Dolan. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast presented today by FantasyPoints.com. Use the code FEAST, all caps, and you can be one of the next entrants into the June Best Ball 10 draft. We've got the new winners this week, Deborah Kramer. Carson Wright, Donovan Janest, added to Mohinder Dick, Ari Engel, Norm Fazekas, Ben Mullins, and Nathan Chudioni. Chudioni, I think. So that's eight, which means we will announce two more next week, the final two contestants for the June Best Ball Tens Draft Going against me and Joe, the winner gets $110. The losers get nothing other than watching me win $110. He's Joe Dolan, of course, at FG underscore Dolan on Twitter. He actually works for FantasyPoints.com. What a coincidence. Make sure you use the code, all caps, FEAST. When you sign up and send that over to me, and then when you do, I'll put you in the candidate list, and then I pick a couple. I'll just give you a little tip right here. If you do anything to go the extra mile, rate and review the show, send me that screenshot, take advantage of one of our other sponsors, anything else, that might separate you from the pack. Fantasypoints.com, code FEAST. Speaking of... Of best ball tens. Joe and I are going to dive into our best ball draft and talk about the real life decisions we made in the May best ball draft. Because if these are the decisions we were working through, then these are the decisions that you'll be working through in your drafts, whether it's dynasty or season long or best balls or whatever. So very much looking forward to to diving in momentarily with you, Joe. I'm Ross Tucker. Should probably tell you that. Former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years, bunch of podcasts, Ross Tucker football podcast. Andrew Brandt was amazing yesterday. We got Greg Cosell tomorrow. Even Money Betting podcast. We got a whole bunch of tips on football coming back from the virus from a guy that bets on rugby league down there in Australia and what he has seen from teams coming back from the virus. So a lot of good info on the Even Money podcast there. And we went over every single draft choice in the AFC East on the College Draft podcast this week. All right, Joe. So everybody thinks it's a conspiracy theory that I got the number one pick, but it was random. I did. I took Christian McCaffrey. My question is, Joe, is there even a debate is there an argument to be made to not take Christian McCaffrey number one overall? Here is the argument to be made. You're a little worried about the Carolina Panthers offense or their team in general under the new coaching staff. 
don't really know what Joe Brady's going to bring to the table, although everybody knows that he's a pretty smart guy. And honestly, the other argument is you keep getting the number one pick in best balls if you do a lot of them. And you just want to diversify a little bit away from Christian McCaffrey and go to Saquon Barkley. Um, I think he's I think he's a pretty heavy number one overall pick here. And one of the big reasons is we know he had the hundred catch thousand yard receiving season last year. Well, Captain Checkdown Teddy Bridgewater is his quarterback this year. In addition to that, the Panther defense is going to stink. So you think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Christian McCaffrey to catch the football. So really, the only arguments are, hey, I want to diversify a little bit. I'm not sure how the Matt Rule thing's going to work out. Or you just really believe that Christian McCaffrey just cannot replicate that season. As you can tell, I'm I'm struggling to come up with reasons to say, man, Christian McCaffrey is not going to have a great season this year. And that's what makes him the number one overall pick over Saquon Barkley. Although if somebody took Barkley, I wouldn't say that's a bad pick. It's just I would ask them to rationalize that a little bit more. I guess my only concern when I did it was just the unprecedented usage he had last year. I mean, I wrote yeah. an article for The Athletic. I mean, he played the equivalent. If you look at the number of snaps he played, he played the equivalent of like four or five more games than a lot of these other running backs. And and the year before, I don't remember, Joe, but the year before his second year, he played a lot as well. So the only concern I guess I had because even if they are trailing a lot I, mean, I think he'll just catch a million balls then I'm not worried about that but was just the usage and do we have a lot of track record of guys having a third straight unbelievably productive year and that kind of high-end usage well, I think that the track record of that would have been back in the day when you had your Marshall Falks and, you know, guys like Emmett Smith who were different than Christian McCaffrey, but those guys played a ton of snaps. You know, I, I mean, I thought you were going to say Christian McCaffrey's played the equivalent of a quarterback out there snap wise, and he really has. So, Ross, that I, I didn't even bring that up, but that's probably a fantastic thing to worry about. But the reason, but there's the catch 22, right? The reason these guys are these top four, top five picks in these fantasy, in these best ball drafts, in fantasy football in general, is because of the insane usage. You know, Barkley is going to be used just like that. You look at the backup to McCaffrey, it might be Mike Davis. And then you look at the backup to Saquon Barkley, it might be Deion Lewis. Like, these guys don't even have great backups behind them. So that's why these guys are up there. So you, the catch 22 is, oh, I'm worried he might be used too much. But on the flip side, he's used so much. So I want him on my team. So um, you you just hope you're not a year too late on McCaffrey. But it, it, it's really hard to go galaxy brain with either him or, or Saquon Barkley and say, I'm not going to take one of those guys. I'm going to take like Alvin Kamara. That that's hard for me to do. You know, we're not going to go through every pick, Joe, but uh, the, the rest of the first round, Patrick Mahomes went number two overall, which was stunning. Nice. Saquon Barkley, three. Zeke went four. Dalvin Cook, five. Alvin Kamara, six. You were up then, Joe, at seven. Uh, you ended up taking Joe Mixon. Who else did you consider? Some of the guys that went after that were Michael Thomas, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, Tyreek Hill, Nick Chubb. 
Was that an easy decision for you to take Mixon at that point? It's funny you mentioned who else did you consider because I considered 0.0 other players there when Joe Mixon fell to me at seven. Um, this this draft, we have to point out to the people, started, took place before Dalvin Cook uh, decided he was going to hold out. So Dalvin Cook went at number five overall. And frankly, I, I have moved Joe Mixon up to number five on my board behind the big four of McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, and Kamara. Um, and, and right ahead of Dalvin Cook, because I don't think Dalvin Cook's going to hold out for long, but that's another discussion. That's a discussion I'm sure you've had uh, with Andrew Brandt on, on the podcast. But um with Joe Mixon, I, I see a guy who's who's arguably one of the three or four most talented backs in the entire league. I see a guy who um, overcame a bad situation last year. You know, I was watching him because I've been writing some player profiles for FantasyPoints.com. And, you know, we all know the running backs don't matter argument. You've had discussions with, with Greg Cosell on the podcast about that. And... I, I We all understand the crux of the argument, right? But Joe Mixon, in, in the second half of last year, overcame a bad situation. The Bengals had a terrible offensive line, and he continued to produce yardage after struggling at the beginning of the year. And I just think with Joe Burrow there, the return of Jonah Williams, even though they didn't make more moves at the offensive line, which I, I'm a little surprised by, with A.J. Greenback, Tyler Boyd, they drafted T. Higgins. I think there's going to be more holes for Joe Mixon to run through this year. I am worried a little bit about the presence of Giovanni Bernard, just a little bit. But Joe Mixon, to me, is a special player who was a league winner in the second half of last season. That It was an easy pick for me to take Joe Mixon there at number seven. So I can't believe that in the next round you were able to get Kenyon Drake in round two. I mean, you look at the other guys that were available at that point. I can't imagine that there's very many drafts, Joe, where what would that have been? Like the 17th pick of the draft that Kenyon yeah. Drake was there for you and you were able to go mix in Drake rounds one and two. I mean, you probably even thought less about that one. It, yeah, it, see, this was going to be when I drafted Mixon, I, I had really four names in mind for me for the second round. Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Drake, and Austin Eckler because I really like starting my best ball drafts running back, running back. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm almost so locked into it that I should probably rethink my process a little bit and say, am I being optimal here? Um, but I think you, you understand, and Ross, we'll get to your team Um if you don't get your second running back in a best ball within the first couple rounds, you're really going to think your running backs are weak and, and you might be playing catch up uh, at the running back position. I the way, Drafting Kenyon Drake here allowed me to be aggressive the rest of the draft. And I'll tell you where I messed up because I definitely messed up in this draft. But Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake from the seven hole is about as ideal a start as I can imagine right now. Two guys in in, in offenses that I expect to be pretty damn good this year. Um, not a lot of tread on the tie uh, or not a lot of mileage on the engine for either one of the two guys. Like you said, with Christian McCaffrey, that's a concern of yours. I thought this was a really ideal start from that spot. By the way, I took Kenyon Drake over Austin Eckler because I am worried about Eckler's production in the passing game because I do not expect the Chargers to be a high-volume passing game this year. So with the 24th pick, the last pick of round two, you know, I, I was at the turn, 
And at that point, I really wasn't liking the other running back options in terms of value, Joe. Um, I felt like most of the running backs I really liked were off the board. And so I decided, I thought, you know, Travis Kelsey had already been off the board. So I thought, I, I feel like there's a big difference between Kelsey Kittle and the other tight ends. As much as I love a guy like Zach Ertz, I just think with Dallas Goddard, you know, I just think Kittle and Kittle with a contract and all that stuff that in a best ball league, Kittle's going to have a lot of really big days. And then the receiver I took, I think I might be higher on him than other people, but Kenny Galladay, I just feel like uh, with Stafford, hopefully for a whole year, I still think Detroit will be trailing in a bunch of games. I, I just picture Stafford and Galladay having big years so I went Kittle and Galladay. So I got my first tight end and I got my first receiver as opposed to taking one of these other running backs like Jonathan Taylor or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, I, I get it with rookie running backs, but that, that, was, that just felt a little bit rich for me. Am I a total moron or do you understand why I did what I did? Now, if you were to ask me, who would I rather have straight up in fantasy this year, George Kittle or Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Kenny Galladay or Jonathan Taylor? I'm going to say the players that you took. The, the I'm going to take the tight end and that wide receiver. The only argument against it, which is something that I've come in contact with, which, is, which has shaped my best ball draft strategy this year. By the way, totally different than redraft strategy, and we will get into that later uh, in the summer on the podcast. It's the the scarcity of the running backs past the first few rounds. So I probably would have spent one of those picks. I probably wouldn't have taken Galladay. And 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 frankly, I would have taken Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Melvin Gordon there um, if, if I were you, Ross. But I understand what you did because you took the best player on the board. And sometimes it, you think, well, I'm taking the best player. Where, where, where could I go wrong? I'll tell you where I went wrong a little bit later in the draft um, where I thought I took the best player available and it ended up screwing me over. But there you took the best player available, which is always easy to defend. But I think it might have left you a little bit short at the running back position, as I'm sure you're aware of. Then as we went through the third round, uh, you took DJ Moore, your first receiver. It looks like he was about the seventh or eighth receiver off the board. Interesting pick, Joe. I know he had a pretty good year, but they brought in Robbie Anderson. You know, you got the Teddy Bridgewater factor, and you didn't take another receiver until Marquise Brown in the sixth round. So you you really um, you really obviously like DJ Moore quite a bit. I do. Um, the other guys in consideration here were, were Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, Odell Beckham. I diversified a little bit. I don't have much DJ Moore. Like I said, I think the Panthers are going to be throwing the ball a ton. And I think DJ Moore near the line of scrimmage with a lot of yards after the catch is going to be a yak weapon in that offense. So I think he is primed for a lot of catches this year. So I was happy to take him as my number one receiver. And you brought it up. I then took two more running backs uh, with James Conner and J.K. Dobbins in my next two picks because, I, like I said, I like to be aggressive on the running back position. And I paired Conner with Dobbins, even though it's not a same team pair. You know, Conner hasn't been able to stay on the field. You know, in the first half of last season, he was an awesome fantasy asset. Then he disappeared. I'm wondering if Conner again has that great first half 
And then uh, his decline, if it happens, comes in concert with J.K. Dobbins' rise as a rookie uh, behind Mark Ingram. So that's why I did that kind of pair there in the fourth, fifth round um, to give me some upside there at the running back position. But, yeah, I did only take one wide receiver through the first five rounds. So um, your next two picks, you went James Conner and J.K. Dobbins. So four of your first five picks are running backs. Now, you got to explain this to me, Joe. Two running backs score for you each week. And I know how important the running back position is, but four out of your first five picks, when only two of those guys, their their points are going to count each week? So three can because of the flex. But here is, here is the crux of the strategy. The zero RB strategy says we don't really know about the running back position. They get injured more. You attack the waiver wire and pick up the guys who nobody's ever heard of who are going to contribute to you. And that's the point. In zero RB in redraft, it's easier, in my opinion, to execute because you know damn well there is a running back who we are not talking about right now on June 18th who is going to make an impact, potentially a significant impact for fantasy football. Who had heard of Raheem Moster last year on June 18th? Very few people. Two years ago, how many people were thinking about Damian Williams on June 18th? Every year it happens. And frankly, in these best ball drafts, those guys are not getting drafted. So what I like to do is I like to create more certainty at the running back position. We can't execute an optimal zero RB strategy, at least in my opinion, in best ball because we don't have the waiver wire. We don't have the ability to go out and get those guys nobody's ever heard of who become big-time fantasy assets because once the draft is over, the league is done. It's, it's kaput. You only can follow what you've already drafted. So I like to load up early at the running back position because there are going to be guys later on in this draft who at the wide receiver position we know have pathways to snaps. There's going to be some guys at the running back position who aren't getting drafted, who have pathways to snaps that we can't even imagine right now. I don't know if I'm putting that the best way, but because there is no waiver wire, it makes me more aggressive on the running back position. And also, by the nature of best ball, number two and number three wide receivers are far more useful in best ball than they are in a redraft league when you have to constantly make decisions on, oh, where am I going to play him? Should I play him this week? You know, he had six catches last week, but just two weeks ago he had one catch. Those games, those games are minimized in best ball. The one catch 15 yard games, they're not in your lineup. You don't have to worry about it. So when you draft a guy like, for instance, somebody I drafted, Marquise Brown, the games where he has five catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns, you don't have to decide or try to guess when those games are coming because the best ball automatically will assign them into your lineup. My next turn, Joe, the fourth round, fifth round. So we're talking about now, you know, like the 64th and 65th picks. Or no, I messed that math up. 12, 24, 36, 48. So we're talking about the 49th and 50th picks. Um, I still messed that up, didn't I? 48th anyway, and 49th. Yeah, okay. I went with DeAndre Swift and Stephon Diggs. 
So that gave me my second running back in Swift, my second wide receiver in Diggs. Um, I, I think Swift is better than Carryon Johnson. I think that the Lions took him high in round two for a reason. I think uh, he'll be the guy that gets the, the bulk of the carries, and he's very good in the passing game. I think he was arguably the best the best running back in this draft. And then Diggs, you know, always been productive, but the Bills have invested a lot in him. I mean, they've got a very vested interest in him having a big year for them. So um, those are the guys I went with. I can't remember some of the other guys I was considering. I thought about going back-to-back running back there. I thought about, you know, Cam Akers. But I got to tell you, I didn't love – Cam Akers or David Montgomery or the other running back options. So I thought Swift and let me get Stephon Diggs. Yeah, I thought uh, I think that's fair. Um, I'm a little concerned about Swift's situation. And situation is so important for rookie running backs because uh, an argument I've made, if the Chiefs drafted DeAndre Swift where they drafted Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift would be a second, third round pick for fantasy. Now people are a little concerned about the Lions. So he's like a fifth, sixth round pick. You're betting on talent here. I personally would have taken Cam Akers or David Montgomery just because I like the situation a little bit more. I even like the situation more for J.K. Dobbins. But, I mean, you're betting on talent here, and Swift is arguably the best prospect in this class at the running back position. So I agree with you. I do think he's going to overtake on Johnson. My question is, how committed are the Lions to having a committee in that backfield? Interesting. Your next three picks, Joe, you went with Hollywood Brown – in the sixth round, you went Evan Ingram, your first tight end in the seventh round, and Julian Edelman in the eighth round. Here is where I messed up. Um, I love Hollywood Brown, by the way. He's uh, I, he's my most drafted best ball player thus far. You could still get him in that sixth round range. I, he's a perfect best ball kind of player with those absolutely huge pop-off games. I think he's going to be healthier this year. So I love him. That was a pick. My mistake was taking Evan Ingram in the seventh round. And I've I, I've been having discussions with some of the guys we've had on the feast here, like Graham Barfield and Tom Brawley. And I have determined that I don't really like drafting. I don't like the way my teams look at the tight end position. If I don't get kind of one of those big three or four, like Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, and Ertz, and then I'm I'm stuck drafting Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, as opposed to drafting like the Waller, Henry, Ingram, Tyler Higby tier of tight ends, I think you're more prudent if you don't get one of the big guys to kind of hold off a little bit. Because I ended up selling myself way short at the wide receiver position here. My wide receivers stink in this league. I'm, I'm like horrified looking at them. And I think the big culprit for that is that fact that I took Evan Ingram in the seventh round over receivers like Tyler Boyd. Took him over Tyler Boyd. I took him over Deontay Johnson. I took him over Ma- Marvin Jones and Darius Slayton. It was a massive mistake of mine. I would much rather have had Deontay Johnson – let's just say, in that spot as my number three wide receiver. And then in the 10th round where I took Mike Williams from the Chargers, I would have been way better suited taking Hayden Hurst, the tight end, who was still on the board, and I I would have a much better team. So 
my my advice to people would be unless somebody like Mark Andrews or Zach Ertz kind of really falls to like that fifth or sixth round range, I would say if you don't get Kelsey or Kittle, hold off on the tight end position in best ball. In best ball, that's that's the critical part until the ninth, tenth, eleventh round, and then go get some of the upside guys because I was able to do that too. Later on in the draft, in the thirteenth round, I took Jonu Smith, and then I took Irv Smith in the sixteenth round. So I got some upside guys, but I think my team would look way better if instead of taking Evan Ingram in the seventh, and I took Deontay Johnson or Tyler Boyd, if I if I had managed to wait until the tenth round, take Hayden Hurst, and then pair him with those two upside guys. That was my mistake. The middle round tight end really made my wide receivers hurt. And even in a 20 round draft, one pick can really hurt the entirety of a position. And that's why we keep doing these because they're fun, but also because you have to, you have to make optimal decisions. I did not make one there. My wide receivers stink as a result of the decision I made. So sixth round, I took Devontae Parker. Seventh round, I took James White. Thought process there being, I feel like the Patriots are going to be behind more than they have been in recent years, and I feel like he's going to be a safe completion for Jarrett Sidham or Brian Hoyer. And I picture White having uh, maybe even some eight, nine catch games. Uh, Still don't love the Patriots receivers. Then in the eighth round, I got Robbie Anderson, Ninth round, Rob Gronkowski. Tenth round, Brashad Perriman. All of these guys, in my mind, Joe, go in the same category of they're going to have some weeks where they really help me and they're going to have some weeks where they don't do anything. But isn't that kind of what the best ball draft's all about, especially as you get down? I mean, Robbie Anderson is going to have a couple games where he has five catches for 120 yards and a touchdown or two. And he's going to have some other games where he doesn't. Gronk, he's still Gronk. He's still going to score touchdowns. And he'll probably have some games where he has a couple touchdowns. And then Perriman, I feel like Perriman's undervalued. I mean, you know, I, I know you ended up taking Denzel Mims a little bit later. But, I mean, that's who Darnold's throwing it to. He's throwing it to Perriman and he's throwing it to Denzel Mims and Perriman's another speed guy who he's basically the Jets' new Robbie Anderson who also will have some weeks where he's catching three to five balls for 80 to 120 yards, in my mind. I actually prefer Perriman to Robbie Anderson, uh, who you took in the eighth round, uh, because I'm I'm concerned about Robbie Anderson's fit with Teddy Bridgewater, um, captain check down there. So I actually prefer Perriman to Anderson. So I think if you flip-flop those picks, it would look pretty good, because um, I'm not on Robbie Anderson this year. But I want to talk about Gronk, because i got to be honest, we've seen so much, so much in fantasy football over the years, name guys just get kind of pushed up the board because they're names. It hasn't really happened with Gronk yet this year. And and I'm a little surprised by that because I thought people in best balls would start to say, hey, look, the exact same thought process you had, Ross. All right, what if he plays 10 games? Well, then the six games he doesn't play, I'll just have another tight end. And you actually handcuffed him with OJ Howard, which was really smart. And so... I'm surprised he's not going in the range where you took him. He's he's kind of a ninth, 10th, 11th round pick. I'm surprised he hasn't found his way into the 7th yet, to be completely honest, just based on name value and the fact that best ball is a great format for Gronk. Um, 
couple more uh, that we'll get to. You started to go quarterback. You mentioned Mike Williams. Other picks, you went Matt Ryan in the ninth, Carson Wentz in the 11th. You got Duke Johnson in the 12th. Um, I'll tell you what, a, pick, a couple picks I like of yours, Joe. I like in the 14th, Sammy Watkins, and the 15th, um, Denzel uh, Mims. I kind of even liked Devontae Freeman in the 18th because whoever ends up getting him, it's going to be because they have to use him. So I, I thought Devontae Freeman was a guy I had my eye on, but I like Watkins and Mims in the 14th and 15th. I think they're going to have some good weeks for you. Well, Sammy Watkins is one of those players I think you can take advantage of in best ball because everybody hates him. Everybody thinks Sammy Watkins stinks. And, you know, because he hasn't lived up, even though he's had a good career, he hasn't lived up to the to the top 10 pick that he was. And, and that's a fact. You know, he was in that loaded wide receiver draft, but he's in also the best offense in the NFL. And again, those blow up weeks are going to happen. Whether there's one of them, whether there's two of them, whether there's three of them, he's a 14th round pick. All he really needs is one or two blow up weeks to pay off for me. So I really like that pick. He's somebody who's a major target for me around where he's getting drafted. Denzel Mims is a shot in the dark because the Jets don't have a ton on the perimeter. Jamison Crowder's their number one receiver. I think they're going to involve Chris Herndon um, and obviously Brashad Perriman's on the outside as well. But I think if Perriman, you know, frankly, the guys had what, 10 good games in his career? If he doesn't, Denzel Mims is going to have an opportunity to take over for Perriman if he doesn't show up. But unfortunately, I was drafting from behind at wide receiver because of that bad mistake I made earlier. So Sammy Watkins would look a lot better if the top of my board at wide receiver was better. But I will say, I mean, Duke Johnson's my fifth running back. Devontae Freeman's my sixth. I got some pretty damn good running backs in this league. That's how I like to build my team. But um, my wide receivers are just uh, looking at them, looking at them. I want to wretch because I made one mistake and 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 that held me back. So don't make that mistake it, unless unless you feel really good about your ability to navigate your draft. Taking a tight end in that sixth, seventh, eighth round range, uh, I I've struggled with with at least one of my positions. Otherwise, if I do that, yeah. And so the position that I I felt like I was behind on was running back. So then I, I threw Boston Scott in there, Ryquell Armstead, Jamal Williams. I just, love that Armstead pick, by the way. Yeah, how is he not going until the 19th, to 19th round? I, I don't understand that. And I, I think Boston Scott, look, I love Miles Sanders as much as anybody, but I don't know if he's going to be the guy every game. I, I think if Boston Scott gets in there and does some positive things, they might give him some more love in those games like they did last year. Um, cause they also want Miles Sanders to last all season. So yeah. we'll see. Um, but I end up throwing a bunch of running backs in there just cause I had to kind of make up for, um, when I, in, in my mind, I got McCaffrey probably getting points for me every week and then I'm hoping out of swift white and then Scott Armstead Williams, that those guys can take turns kind of being my next guy. Yeah, I agree. And Armstead, by the way, is people have finally started to notice that, Hey, the Jaguars, Eight Leonard Fournette and the depth chart behind him is pretty thin right now. So Ryquel Armstead has finally started to move into like the 14th, 15th round range, which is still too late for him. I have him on a ton of teams. He's an ideal fifth running back in best ball because there is a pathway to him becoming the lead back that doesn't require an injury. The Jaguars could just decide we're done with Leonard Fournette and then Rock Armstead 
could be their lead back. So he's one of those guys where I, it's an auto pick. Um, I can't believe he fell as far as he did, Ross. Joe, that was awesome. I knew it would be. I'm not sure it's quite. it was quite as awesome as myfrontpagestory.com where you still, believe it or not, have time to get your dad the best Father's Day gift ever. When you go to myfrontpagestory.com, you talk to a writer for 10 minutes. They go ahead. They write the most unbelievable story about your dad. Your dad gets a framed story that looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. You get to say to him, hey, dad, I had a story written about you, which is extremely powerful. He probably, the old man might even cry, which is awesome. So lots of good stuff at myfrontpagestory.com. You can always check me out at Ross Tucker NFL on the different social media platforms. Our intern Casey is killing it at Ross Tucker Pod on our social media platforms. So encourage you to follow us both of those places as well. Other than that, I am totally stuffed. We are done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and the College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.